Chapter Six, Part One of the Eight Strokes of the Clock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. The Eight Strokes of the Clock by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Six, Part One. The Lady with the Hatchet. One of the most incomprehensible incidents that preceded the Great War was certainly the one which was known as the episode of the Lady with the Hatchet. The solution of the mystery was unknown, and would never have been known had not circumstances in the cruelest fashion obliged Prince Henin, or should I say Arsène Lupin, to take up the matter, and had I not been able today to tell the true story from the details supplied by him. Let me recite the facts. In a space of eighteen months, five women disappeared, five women of different stations in life, all between twenty and thirty years of age, and living in Paris, or the Paris district. I will give their names. Madame Ladoux, the wife of a doctor. Mademoiselle Ardan, the daughter of a banker. Mademoiselle Covreau, a washerwoman of Courbevoie. Mademoiselle Honorine Vernisset, a dressmaker and Madame Grollinger, an artist. These five women disappeared without the possibility of discovering a single particular to explain why they had left their homes, why they did not return to them, who had enticed them away, and where and how they were detained. Each of these women, a week after her departure, was found somewhere or other in the western outskirts of Paris, and each time it was a dead body that was found the dead body of a woman who had been killed by a blow on the head from a hatchet. And each time, not far from the woman, who was firmly bound, her face covered with blood, and her body emaciated by lack of food, the marks of a carriage wheels proved that the corpse had been driven to the spot. The five murders were so much alike that there was only a single investigation, embracing all the five enquiries, and, for that matter, leading to no result. A woman disappeared. A week later, to a day, her body was discovered, and that was all. The bonds that fastened her were similar in each case. So were the tracks left by the wheels. So were the blows of the hatchet, all of which were struck vertically at the top and right in the middle of the forehead. The motive of the crime? The five women had been completely stripped of their jewels, purses, and other objects of value. But the robberies might well have been attributed to marauders or any passers-by, since the bodies were lying in deserted spots. Were the authorities to believe in the execution of a plan of revenge, or of a plan intended to do away with a series of persons mutually connected, persons, for instance, likely to benefit by a future inheritance, here again the same obscurity prevailed. Theories were built up, only to be demolished forthwith, by an examination of the facts. Trails were followed, and at once abandoned. And suddenly there was a sensation. A woman, engaged in sweeping the roads, picked up on the pavement a little notebook, which she brought to the local police station. The leaves of this notebook were all blank, excepting one, on which was written a list of the murdered women, with their names set down in order of date and accompanied by three figures, Ladoux, 132, Vernisset, 
118, and so on. Certainly no importance would have been attached to these entries, which anybody might have written, since everyone was acquainted with the sinister list. But instead of five names, it included six. Yes, below the words Rollinger, 128, there appeared Williamson, 114. Did this indicate a sixth murder? The obviously English origin of the name limited the field of the investigations, which did not in fact take long. It was ascertained that, a fortnight ago, a Miss Hermione Williamson, a governess in a family at Otewi, had left her place to go back to England, and that, since then, her sisters, though she had written to tell them that she was coming over, had heard no more of her. A fresh inquiry was instituted. A postman found the body in the Midon Woods. Miss Williamson's skull was split down in the middle. I need not describe the public excitement at this stage, nor the shudder of horror which passed through the crowd when it read this list, written without a doubt in the murderer's own hand. What could be more frightful than such a record, kept up to date like a careful tradesman's ledger? On such a day I killed so-and-so, on such a day so-and-so. And the sum total was six dead bodies. Against all expectation, the experts in handwriting had no difficulty in agreeing, and unanimously declared that the writing was that of a woman, an educated woman, possessing artistic tastes, imagination, and an extremely sensitive nature. The lady with the hatchet, as the journalists christened her, was decidedly no ordinary person, and scores of newspaper articles made a special study of her case, exposing her mental condition and losing themselves in far-fetched explanations. Nevertheless, it was the writer of one of these articles, a young journalist, whose chance discovery made him the center of public attention, who supplied the one element of truth, and shed upon the darkness the only ray of light that was to penetrate it. In casting about for the meaning of the figures which followed the six names, he had come to ask himself whether those figures did not simply represent the number of the days separating one crime from the next. All that he had to do was to check the dates. He at once found that his theory was correct. Mademoiselle Vernisset had been carried off 132 days after Madame Ladoux, Mademoiselle Covreau 118 days after Honorine Vernisset, and so on. There was therefore no room for doubt, and the police had no choice but to accept a solution which so precisely fitted the circumstances. The figures corresponded with the intervals. There was no mistake in the records of the lady with the hatchet. But then one deduction became inevitable. Miss Williamson, the latest victim, had been carried off on the 26th of June last, and her name was followed by the figures, 114. Was it not to be presumed that a fresh crime would be committed 114 days later, that is to say, on the 18th of October? Was it not probable that the horrible business would be repeated in accordance with the murderer's secret intentions? Were they not bound to pursue to its logical conclusion the argument which ascribed to the figures, to all the figures, to the last as well as to the others, their value as eventual dates? Now, it was precisely this deduction which was drawn and was being weighed and discussed during the few days that preceded the 18th of October when logic demanded the performance of yet another act of the abominable tragedy. 
and it was only natural that, on the morning of that day, Prince Rénine and Hortense, when making an appointment by telephone for the evening, should allude to the newspaper articles which they had both been reading. "'Look out!' said Rénine, laughing. "'If you meet the lady with the hatchet, take the other side of the road.' "'And if the good lady carries me off, what am I to do?' Strew your path with little white pebbles, and say, until the very moment when the hatchet flashes in the air, I have nothing to fear. He will save me. He is myself. And I kiss your hands. Till this evening, my dear. That afternoon, Renin had an appointment with Rosandre and Daubrecq to arrange for their departure for the States. Footnote. See the telltale film. End of footnote. Before four and seven o'clock, he bought the different editions of the evening papers. None of them reported an abduction. At nine o'clock, he went to the gymnase, where he had taken a private box. At half-past nine, as Hortense had not arrived, he rang her up, though without thought of anxiety. The maid replied that Madame Danielle had not come in yet. Seized with a sudden fear, Renin hurried to the furnished flat which Hortense was occupying for the time being, near the Parc Monceau, and questioned the maid, whom he had engaged for her, and who was completely devoted to him. The woman said that her mistress had gone out at two o'clock, with a stamped letter in her hand, saying that she was going to the post, and that she would come back to dress. This was the last that had been seen of her. To whom was the letter addressed? To you, sir. I saw the writing on the envelope. Prince Serge Henin. He waited until midnight, but in vain. Hortense did not return nor did she return next day. "'Not a word to any one,' said Renin to the maid. "'Say that your mistress is in the country, and that you are going to join her.' For his own part, he had not a doubt. Hortense's disappearance was explained by the very fact of the date, the 18th of October. She was the seventh victim of the lady with the hatchet. "'The abduction,' said Renin to himself, "'precedes the blow of the hatchet by a week.' I have therefore at the present moment seven full days before me. Let us say six to avoid any surprise. This is Saturday. Hortense must be set free by midday on Friday. And to make sure of this, I must know her hiding place by nine o'clock on Thursday evening at the latest. Henin wrote, Thursday evening, nine o'clock, in big letters on a card, which he nailed above the mantelpiece in his study. Then, at midday on Saturday, the day after the disappearance, he locked himself into the study, after telling his men not to disturb him, except for meals and letters. He spent four days there, almost without moving. He had immediately sent for a set of all the leading newspapers, which had spoken in detail of the first six crimes. When he had read and re-read them, he closed the shutters, drew the curtains, and lay down on the sofa in the dark, with the door bolted, thinking. By Tuesday evening, he was no further advanced than on the Saturday. The darkness was as dense as ever. He had not discovered the smallest clue for his guidance, nor could he see the slightest reason to hope. At times, notwithstanding his immense power of self-control and his unlimited confidence in the resources at his disposal, at times he would quake with anguish. Would he arrive in time? There was no reason why he should see more clearly during the last few days than during those which had already lapsed. And this meant that Hortense Daniel would inevitably be murdered. The thought tortured him. 
he was attached to Hortense by a much stronger and deeper feeling than the appearance of the relations between them would have led an onlooker to believe. The curiosity at the beginning, the first desire, the impulse to protect Hortense, to distract her, to inspire her with a relish for existence, all this had simply turned to love. Neither of them was aware of it, because they barely saw each other, save at critical times, when they were occupied with the adventures of others and not with their own. But, at the first onslaught of danger, Renin realized the place which Hortense had taken in his life, and he was in despair at knowing her to be a prisoner and a martyr, and at being unable to save her. He spent a feverish, agitated night, turning the case over and over from every point of view. The Wednesday morning was also a terrible time for him. He was losing ground. Giving up his hermit-like seclusion, he threw open the windows and paced to and fro through his rooms, ran out into the street and came in again, as though fleeing before the thought that obsessed him. Hortense is suffering. Hortense is in the depths. She sees the hatchet. She's calling to me. She's entreating me. And I can do nothing. It was at five o'clock in the afternoon that, on examining the list of the six names, he received that little inward shock which is a sort of signal of the truth that is being sought for. A light shot through his mind. It was not, to be sure, that brilliant light in which every detail is made plain, but it was enough to tell him in which direction to move. His plan on campaign was formed at once. He sent Adolphe, his chauffeur, to the principal newspapers, with a few lines which were to appear in type among the next morning's advertisements. Adolphe was also told to go to the laundry at Courbevoie, where Mademoiselle Covreau, the second of the six victims, had been employed. On the Thursday, Renin did not stir out of doors. In the afternoon, he received several letters in reply to his advertisement. Then two telegrams arrived. Lastly, at three o'clock, there came a pneumatic letter bearing the Trocadero postmark, which seemed to be what he was expecting. He turned up a directory, noted an address. Monsieur de lourtier Vanot. Retired colonial governor, 47 bis, Avenue Clabert, and ran down to his car. Adolphe, 47 bis, Avenue Clabert. End of chapter 6, part 1